millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi there, and welcome to Explaining History Podcast. And today's podcast is kind of going to be a bit of a continuation um, from the last one, um, focusing again on uh, India and um, looking at uh, India and the wars of decolonization across Asia in general. It's something that really is occupying my thoughts at the moment, not least because I've got to give a lecture on it in February. Um, so, you know, <laughs> make good use of your material, that's what I say. Um, but also because I think I've been remiss in the past, I've focused almost too much on the uh, you know issues of uh, Soviet Union and Nazi Germany and post-war British history. And it's very easy when you're studying a GCSE or an A-level to assume that most of the important things that happened in the 20th century happened in the north part of the world. And in a way, if you're looking at things in, in pure demographics, most of the world's population don't live there. Most of the world's population live in Asia. Um, and most of the world's population uh, were affected in profoundly different ways um, to uh, the the way the the ways that events unfolded uh, in in Europe. Very different historical processes have shaped Asia, and uh, you could say that really from the 1930s through to the 1990s, uh, Asia has had uh, an entirely different um, historical trajectory to to that of Europe, which might explain why. Uh, whereby we we are experiencing what might possibly be uh, an Asian century. Not completely sure that's going to be the case yet, but you know we'll we'll see. I've got enough to do working about what happened in the past, let alone think about the future. Anyway, moving swiftly on, we're going to look at the partition of India today and the um, the, the, the differing uh, motivations and intentions of the British in partitioning India. Um, and particularly, I'm really enjoying uh, Martin Thomas's book, Fight or Flight, at the moment, uh, in which he argues that these were the, the, the two conflicting imperatives for the British and the French, that in both the British and French governments, there was the desire just to um, run away from empire as quickly as possible, to leave the, um, the, the mess that existed in 1945, 
to its own devices, and also to to stay and fight, um, to fight to hang on to colonial possessions. And the ways in which uh, some decolonizations happened peacefully and some happened with immense bloodshed um, can be explained through this, that in, in different times and in different instances, the flight or the fight imperative um, uh, went out. Now, there is a, a kind of a rich canon of uh, historiography on this particular subject, the subject of Britain, uh, Britain's exit from India, and the partition, um, the, much as the kind of the new left from the sixties onwards um, said that you know Britain was uh, entirely responsible for the bloodshed that follows, uh, and that sort of Britain's desire to um, flee India as quickly as possible um, was, um, was 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 culpable. Uh, ironically, these are s- still the same figures that would say that Britain had actually been there. Um, illegally uh, in the first place, and so it was kind of a, a kind of a, a a complex debate therein. Other um, historians are more sympathetic towards Britain and India and say that you know, decolonization was in a kind of a multi-ethnic, multi-faith society, which was balkanized. Um, was always going to be an extremely difficult job. Always going to be something that uh, was going to result in catastrophe in some nature. This is kind of similar, I guess, to the uh, Margaret Macmillan take on the Paris Peace Conference, that it's, uh, she essentially said it's, it's surprising that they made any treaty at all, given the uh, explosion of nationalist tensions at the end of the First World War that, they, that Lloyd George Wilson and Clemenceau had to contend with. So, um, you know... The uh, critics in both instances are viewed as being kind of overly harsh. With the second example, with the partition, um, the responsibility that is shirked by Britain, in my view, is, is quite astonishing. And it seems that when partition was announced, that neither the the British or the leaders of the Congress Party or, or the uh, Muslim League really had any um, full understanding of what they're about to, to unleash. I would suspect that um, at a, a, a grassroots and mid-level within Indian political organising, there was a clear understanding of of what may, might potentially happen, but certainly the the British um, were using the word partition without really having uh, a, a full idea of, of um, the level of bloodshed that partition would entail. So it was announced on the radio on the third of June, nineteen forty-seven. Clement Attlee made a, a statement to Parliament. And um, the Viceroy, uh, Lord Louis Mountbatten, um, Jawaharlal Nehru, the leader of the Congress Party, Muhammad Ali Jinnah of the Muslim League, and uh, Baldev Singh, who represented India's Sikhs, um, all made announcements in what appears to be a fairly kind of matter-of-fact manner. Um, They didn't really inject into what they were saying the uh, kind of a, a sense of the importance um, of what was being announced. Um, It was unclear about um, how partition would be implied at that stage. 
the actual drawing up of India and Pakistan and um, East Pakistan's new boundaries were it was extremely uh, extremely rushed um, in Bengal. Um, the legislative assembly there was required to divide itself into a Hindu and a, a Muslim part. Uh, Bengal itself was to be uh, essentially partitioned into Hindu Hindu majority districts and Muslim majority districts. But this was to, but you know, uh, implicit in this is that there were going to be minorities in both the new Muslim states and new uh, Hindu India. So implicit in this was there was going to be mass exoduses of people. New um, Muslim majority and Hindu majority communities then had the rights to, uh, districts, then had the right to vote for um, joining new the new Pakistani state or staying in a new Hindu majority Indian state. In either in, in all situations, there were going to be significant numbers of people who were deprived of what they viewed as their own their own right to statehood, um, and who would have to then um, move um, very quickly um, out of the state that they did not wish to be a part of. They would also have to move very quickly. Um, because the whole process had stoked into community rivalries, angers and resentments. And bear in mind, you're talking about an India here that was extremely um, pluralistic for the most part. There were all manner of instances of um, Hindu and Muslim communities having lived side by side for long periods of time and for... um, aspects of Hinduism and and, um, Islam being quite compatible with one another. Um, And the same is true of of, of Sikhism as well. So the politics of partition um, had really, um, I'm not suggesting that in a very short period of time, had created these kinds of ethnic and religious tensions, but they had uh, stoked and exacerbated them. Things that might be kind of ignored or forgotten or forgiven are now um, ramped up to being um, really, really um, moments of extreme passion and anger. Um, The the British spend a a lot of effort into placing the responsibility for partition onto Indians themselves, um, there is a staggering lack of detail and finesse when it comes to partitioning uh, India. Um, the actual map of the new Indian states of um, East and West Pakistan and India are only revealed two days after independence. Um, so after formal independence, then the actual nature of the country that you're going to be living in is revealed. Um, the person who drew up the boundaries was a, a British judge, Sir Cyril Radcliffe, um, who was not uh, what you know the civil service referred to as an India hand. He didn't really know India, and certainly made very little attempts to find out about it. Much of the uh, cartography was done in a, a secretive manner with uh, little access to um, other uh, Indian civil servants or um, 
uh, experts on the subject, he was he didn't visit any of the areas that were affected. He didn't make uh, any tour um, of the, the the boundary areas, and didn't know anything about the questions of land ownership. He didn't know anything about um, natural resources, so he didn't know on which side of the boundary, say, a um, a source of water would be on. He didn't know anything about the topography, so he didn't know whether he was cutting through valleys or mountain ranges or deserts or anything. He simply drew lines on maps. All the while, Radcliffe and his colleagues were being lobbied by Hindu, Sikh and Muslim representatives asking for this community or that community to be included or removed uh, from one side of the boundary to another. And once Radcliffe had made his suggest, made his um, um, made the boundary, there was little sense that it was the responsibility of the British government in India to um, do anything to help uh, communities that have been quite literally cut in half, or families that have been deprived of their ancestral lands uh, for centuries. Um, there was nothing to um, kind of help. The, uh, uh, the the plight of people who are now going to be forced to uh, to move or who um, might have been uh, left destitute as a result. In the state of Jammu and Kashmir, um, there was a large Muslim population. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Three quarters of the four million people there were Muslim. But the Maharaja, Hari Singh, was not. And fatally, he was given the option by uh, Mountbatten uh, of choosing whether he wished to join uh, India or Pakistan. Um, Singh was a uh, foolish, um, indulged, out-of-touch um, autocrat who had 
very little knowledge of the lives of the people that he ruled. Um, and instead of making any uh, kind of choice, he flees, um, taking um, a large quantity of the state's wealth with him. The Labour Party um, Minister for India, Arthur Henderson, recounts Mountbatten's dilemma here. Uh, he advised the Maharaja in July 1947 to ascertain the will of the people by any accepted means and accede as quickly as possible to one dominion or the other. And when nothing had happened by the end of August, Lord Ismay had tried again to induce the Maharaja to make up his mind on this point. But the Maharaja was apparently constitutionally incapable of coming to any decision and was, in fact, almost entirely to blame for the present disaster in Kashmir. So this is, again, this is a microcosm of Britain's policy in India, um, a way of putting the responsibility back on onto uh, India and saying, well, look, it's not our fault. You know, we, we asked this man to make his mind up and now he's dithered and we've got this big mess on our hands. The idea that Mountbatten um, had some kind of responsibility in decision-making himself as Viceroy seems to have been entirely, entirely lost here. Um, the, and it was a way of um, trying, to kind of, trying to evade responsibility, and part of the reason for that was the, the, the overall kind of ethical and moral shift amongst populations in uh, not just Asia, but in Europe in the Western world and in Great Britain after the Second World War, where um, you know, imperialism is viewed in fairly dubious terms, um, either uh, in a sense, either with indifference, i.e. You know, we, we need to be rebuilding our own country after the war, or um, you know, a more, more radical um, way of looking at things that uh, Britain has no moral right to uh, rule in parts of uh, parts of Southeast Asia, so there needed to be some way of making of, of allowing the British state to emerge from the growing disaster of partition with some kind of moral legitimacy. Now it's often seen um, when taught at uh, GCSE and uh, also at, at A level that the um, the decolonisation. Uh, of India, it's often taught in the kind of the way that you you teach um, the 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 suffragettes or um, the the civil rights movement that um, a noble figure like Gandhi um, decides that things are wrong and protests and protests and protests and gets more people to protest and then ultimately we come to a a point where uh, Britain goes oh well you were right you can have your country back and unfortunately. The issue of partition, I mean, not only is obviously that ludicrously and comedically oversimplified scenario, and obviously I, uh, I, 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 I see that point, but also the issue of partition kind of throws um, a curveball into the middle of all of that, in that the idea that, the, uh, that there was an orderly transition from uh, colonialism to independence uh, can't be sustained. Uh, by the, the the bloodshed of partition in which I think nearly a million people uh, lost their lives, um, and that they and re, there has been uh, partly as a result of partition, though not as the the only cause, ongoing uh, feuding between uh, India and Pakistan 
uh, ever since, now with the assistance of nuclear weapons. Interestingly, um, Indian nationalist accounts as well uh, of the struggle for independence tend to uh, sidestep um, the partition and the bloodshed that went with it. But for me, I would have to argue that this was this is the defining issue um, of the, uh, the defining issue um, of the of the the entire historical process. The killings, of course, begin long before formal partition. Uh, in the summer of 1946, um, the you know, in, uh, inter-ethnic inter violence begins in earnest and um, the uh, Labour government send ministers back to India hoping to find some way of um, curbing the violence, um, and perhaps offering some kind of, uh, some kind of, of uh, compromise to both sides. This um, was led by, once again, Sir Stafford Cripps and um, Pethick Lawrence. Um, and if you listen to the previous podcast, neither of these figures were uh, held in particularly high esteem by either the Congress Party or the Muslim League. And the British were in a, a poor negotiating position anyway when they came back in 1946, when, when Cripps came back in 1946, because um, uh, of the successes of the um, the Muslim League, in March 1946 in the Punjab they had become extremely electorally successful, um, and they had uh, the uh, ability now uh, Jinnah and the Muslim League could present themselves uh, as having the legitimacy for um, a mandate, if you will, for um, a state of their own. Um, they had um, the vote, the voting of many millions of uh, Indian Muslims. Um, they and they had a, a right in their eyes to call for self a self determination, self determination, and a, a separate state. This was important to uh, Jinnah, as he believed that uh, in, under a Hindu majority India. Uh, the Muslims would become a, uh, a servile caste, a, uh, perhaps even like a, a slave caste to the Hindus. Um, the uh, British had always encouraged um, the um, Indian Muslims to think of themselves as a, a separate demographic. Um, they had um, been designated as a separate uh, part of the electorate, since 1909, uh, the British were happy to uh, classify and divide uh, uh, Indian uh, India uh, ethnically in this way. It helped very much with their ability to rule the country. So there were these were the kind of seeds of uh, the um, of partition that existed within India uh, anyway. Not suggesting that it was, that it was exclusively. Um, British administrative decisions that made uh, India a fissile continent, but certainly they, they were helped by um, uh, British uh, British administration. For their part, the Congress Party um, claimed that uh, India was now a uh, better. Um, it was better that it be run by the Congress Party, as the British had lost their ability. Uh, or lost their right to claim that they were the only uh, party, the only group who could prevent India from descending into 
uh, inter-ethnic violence. The fact that inter-ethnic violence is beginning in 1946, the Congress Party said, was evidence that the British couldn't do this anymore, and that, if, in fact, if the British stayed, the violence would get worse, not better. Um, and it was indeed only the Congress Party uh, that could guarantee that um, uh, the, that India didn't tear itself apart. The dilemma um, that was facing the British um, and the, the impossible problem for them to solve was um, summed up um, by a administrator in New Delhi um, after the war. Um, and he put it like this. In 1942, the Quit India campaign made it clear that we had uh, in this country two very different communities, or to use Jinnah's words, nations struggling for power, not two parties competing for office. From this point of view, the real offence of the British in Congress's eyes is that they stand in the way of the Hindus, led by the Congress, in imposing their rule over the whole of India. Muslims, at present, advance Pakistan as their only adequate safeguard. We must either accept this or bypass it, or produce an alternative. This alternative must involve the removal of Hindu domination at the centre, which is the essence of Pakistan of the Pakistan demand. It would seem to be impossible to negotiate on Pakistan. The answer must be yes or no. It would have to be imposed, a very dangerous course. We should therefore try to bypass it by agreement. So these were virtually irreconcilable uh, problems, and the British had put far too little effort really into coming to any kind of conclude any kind of solution not that i believe that any sort of solution to the problem which had been um incubating for such a long time was possible so in one sense um the uh, the view that um britain made the best of a bad job when exiting empire there is some validity to that, but the reason why Britain made um, the best of a bad job, and it was a particularly uh, the bad best of a bad job, if that makes any sense, is because Britain had stoked the tensions for um, successfully for such a long period of time, and then after the Second World War, uh, because of the crises of the Second World War and the pressures that the war placed on British rule in India the exit from india had to the pace of exit from india had to be speeded up the result of this is that britain has the uh, little time to exit india it doesn't apply um the right degree of uh, focus of specialism of effort and expertise into the process of decolonization and into the process of partition and uh, the the result is kind of catastrophe. So it is part cynicism and part ineptitude on Britain's part that uh, leads to the um, the partition, and also the uh, competing demands, or competing nationalist demands, uh, of the, the the Congress and the Muslim League. Okay, well, I hope you found this useful, and if you're studying this um, and sitting exams on this in the near future, do drop me a line. Uh, always let me know how this is how this is good for you, because um, you know there's there's no point really in me saying 
stuff into a microphone for long periods of time if it's not working. So do let me know. All feedback is gratefully received. And uh, thanks very much. I'll catch you on the next podcast. Bye-bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.